0: Well, I invite you to open up your Bibles with me today. We're going to continue our uh, teaching on no compromise. And as you turn today, turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel, chapter 3. And while you turn there, I want to tell you about a married couple very early in their marriage. Tom was his name, and he was married to his wife. They loved each other dearly. They made such grand promises to each other at their wedding ceremony, and the ceremony was, it was absolutely just uh, perfection and storybook. And life was good for the first month. But after the end of the month, Tony lost, or, uh, Tom lost his job, and his wife was going to school full-time and could only work part-time. So they moved to this small studio apartment and bummed into each other. And often, you know, their tempers began to flare up more than they wished. And then Tom's father grew ill. And then the car started making a warping sound every time it turned left. And then a bike that was given to them as a wedding gift was stolen. And then the TV started showing everything with a green hue. And Tom, by this time now, had been out of work for six months. And they were now using up the last of their wedding money that was given to them to basically just live. And they were actually now taking back some wedding gifts just for money to buy groceries. And the stress level was just making Tom, it was just making him sick. And he couldn't sleep. And it was sometime in the, the uh, third month that Tom began to start each of his days in prayer, and he would pray for his wife and this tsunami of horror that just seemed to be uh, their everyday life. Bad things happening, and things kept breaking, and bills came in, they couldn't pay, and credit cards got maxed. Is anybody stressed out yet from this story? I know my wife is. She doesn't like to watch conflicting stories. She's just like, just wait until the end and then bring me in. I just want to see the happy ending. She doesn't like the conflict. But how many of you know there's got to be conflict before his resolution? And so basically they're saying, Lord, where are you in all of this? I mean, it's all this praying, would God ever come through? And finally, it was the morning that he was to go in and pawn his wedding ring. That he knelt beside his bed and he felt like he had a choice. He was like, you know, do I pray once more or do I give up? Would I just let out a curse at God and forget my faith and and just go do something different? Or would he stick with his faith? What would he do? Well he prayed and he got up and he went to the temp agency and that day he gets a job. He gets a job at a cell phone company and he's so happy the first day he arrives. And he knew that he'd be getting a steady paycheck finally. Things were looking up and, and he felt God blessing him. Everybody go, uh oh. And he ended up working in this call center helping to activate phones. And he went through the first day, he gets acquainted with everything, and it's everything's going good. The second day of work comes, and he is training on how to activate phones along with other new hires. And he had someone sitting with him, showing the ropes, uh, off and on throughout the day. And the first call came in, and he activated the cell phone as the salesman instructed him to, and he checked all the options that the customer wanted, and everything went fine. And then at the third call, the person training him sat down and pointed out a few other options on the screen for him to check, even though the customer had not asked for those options. The whisper train, the, the trainer whispered, I'll tell you later, check them. So Tom checked the boxes as he was instructed And then the call ended a few minutes later, and then the trainer explained after the call, he said, listen, it's okay to check some of the boxes and add some additional features to the plans if you want. Because what it'll do, it'll make you look more productive to the folks upstairs. See? And your numbers will be bigger and better as they look at what you've done through the day. And bigger and better, Tom means you get to keep your job. Well, Tom asked, well, uh, aren't I adding features the person doesn't want, that the person hasn't ordered, and the person doesn't want to pay for? Why would I do that? The trainer said, yes, but everyone does it. The customer gets their bill. Here's what will happen. They'll get their bill and then just call in and take off when they notice that these things have been added. But if they don't call in and they don't look at their bill, then the company makes money, man. It's how it's done. Everyone does it. If you want to keep your job, you'll need to do this. And then the trainer stepped away to help another new employee. Tom sat down at his desk. He's stunned. He was just trained that he would need to cheat people in order to keep this new job that he desperately needed. And he just shook his head. And about that time, another call came in for him to help with. What would he do? Book of Daniel, chapter 3. In this book, you're going to see a king by the name of Nebuchadnezzar, one of the most vicious kings in the history of our world who built the most powerful nation in the world at that time by ruthlessly... This is what he did. He ruthlessly attacked neighboring countries, and he took them over by force. Look at verses 1 through 7. Again, Daniel chapter 3. I want to welcome all of you that are in this service today and those also joining us online. The Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits, which is 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up, and they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, Trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, you're to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore at that time when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now notice here in verse 1 that there is a noticeable similarity between the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar made with the dream that he had just had we looked at last week in chapter 2. Very similar. It seems deliberate. You remember last week it was the head and shoulders that was gold. Then it was silver then it was bronze, then it was iron, then it was iron mixed with clay. He made the whole thing gold, as if to say, "Mm -mm, my kingdom's going to last. So he's made this image in very, very similar shape. It's 90 feet tall, it's 9 feet wide, it's in the plain of Dura where he built it. And on the plains of Dura, today, there stands a wreck, rectilinear mound that is about 20 feet high and an exact square of about 46 feet at the base resembling the pedestal of a colossal statue. And it's interesting to know that this area of Babylon has been excavated about 50 miles southwest of Baghdad, Iraq. When Saddam Hussein was alive, he was rebuilding Babylon. And he deliberately, you can research this. He deliberately patterned his political career after the life of none other than King Nebuchadnezzar. He redug the moat that encircled Babylon's ancient walls. He rebuilt the palace of Nebuchadnezzar. He re-erected the Ishtar Gate. His future plans included a full-scale reconstruction of the Tower of Babel. And he was also an enemy of Israel, the people of God. In verses 2 and 3, all of Babylon's dignitaries gather at this dedication of the image. Then I want you to notice something that happens. Uh, We know that they may not have had um, newspapers or televisions or Facebook or social media, but they had heralds. Notice this, that the media of that day, which is the herald, gets the message out to everyone what the king wants done. So we have here a mandate. From the king that most certainly violates the consciences of God's people. And we also have here an accompanying consequence to whoever will not follow the king's mandate. That consequence is to be thrown into a fiery furnace and burned to death. Are you with me? Now that's a pretty powerful persuasive punishment for not doing what the king wants done, wouldn't you say? Now notice what happens in verse seven. Therefore, at that time when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, and men of every language fell down and worshiped the gold image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. The crowd. Say the crowd. The crowd fall in line and obey Nebuchadnezzar's command. But it's easy to follow the crowd. Isn't it? Boy, isn't it easy? Just fall in line. You don't have to think. All you have to do is follow. It's easy to follow the crowd. But It takes courage not to compromise your values, your beliefs, your faith. Come on, somebody. It takes courage. Notice when all the people heard the sound of the music. Nebuchadnezzar's great idolatry was accompanied by music, all kinds of well-produced music. Let me just tell you right now, the devil knows the power of music. He used to lead it in heaven. Check it out in Ezekiel 28, 13. It actually says his instruments were built in him. His tambourines and flutes were built in him on the day in which he was created. And the devil moved on certain Chaldeans to come come forward... And tattletale on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're jealous and envious of their promotion and their success. And folks, listen to me. The devil always has people around like that to do his bidding. He always has people who will accuse the righteous because that's what Satan is. He's the accuser of the brethren. Who accuses you before God day and night. The devil is jealous of you, and the people who accused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were jealous and envious of them. They had been promoted, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had been promoted because they didn't compromise their principles, first of all, and their consciences in faith as to what they ate. And they looked better than the people who ate what the king said to eat. Now let's look at the next verses, verses 8 through 12. You getting something out of this? For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. Well, they're already buttering up to him. You yourself, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, is to fall down and worship the golden image. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. There are certain Jews whom you, by the way, have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, have disregarded you. They do not serve your gods. Notice how they're buttering up. Or worship the golden image which you O king, live forever, have set up. Notice that, I want you to notice this. They repeat word for word what Nebuchadnezzar mandated as if he didn't know what it was he himself said. Nebuchadnezzar knew exactly what he mandated. In effect, he said, if you don't bow, you'll burn. I'm titling this message today, Don't Bow. Don't burn. So let's look how the king responds in verses 13 through 15. Now, I already know that the king is saying in chapters, chapter 1, 2, he's talking about how he had that, remember last week he has a dream, but he didn't know what he dreamed? So he's telling, hey, all you wise men, you got to tell me, number one, what I dreamed, and then the interpretation of what I dreamed. And they're going, hey, wait, you know, listen, if you just tell us what you dreamed, we'll tell you what it means. And he's like, no, you're not, you didn't hear me. I want you, I forgot what I dreamed. I want you to tell me, first of all, what I dreamed, because I don't remember it. Then after you tell me what it is I dreamed, I want you to tell me what it means. They're like, there's nobody on the planet that can do that. He's like, okay, anybody that doesn't do this, tear them limb from rent limb and make their house a heap of rubble. That was one of his favorite things. I'm going to tear you limb from limb, and I'm going to destroy your house and make it a heap of rubble. He loved to say that. Okay, now with that in your thoughts, let's look at verse 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger, say rage and anger, gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then these men were brought before the king. So I mean he is having a fit. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But... If you will not, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Right there is the challenge. Everybody say the challenge. So that's how the king responds. He's in a rage and in anger, and he commands that they be brought to him. And when they get there, he goes over and again. Folks, I want to tell you something right now. They know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they know that to do what he's commanding them to do will break the first two commandments. In that not having any other God before God and falling down before an idol would violate their conscience. Can I just hear an amen? Folks, I'm going to just say something. There are times when Christians have to disobey the law of the land when it goes against what is being commanded by God. There are times, in the words of the Apostle Peter, that we must obey God rather than men. They said, shut up about preaching the gospel. And Peter said, you know what? Whether it's right to obey men or God, you guys be the judge. But you know what? As for us, we're going to keep on doing what we've been called to do. You want to throw us in jail? Throw us in jail. But you know what? Jail couldn't even keep them dudes in. They just kept having angels open up the doors. Thought I'd tell you that. The interesting thing, church, listen to this about this chapter is that it's not just history, it's also prophecy because this is exactly what the Antichrist will command in the future with the number of his name and the mark of his beast. If you don't receive the number of his name or the mark of the beast, you will not buy, you will neither sell, you won't eat. So the king, without a hint of a smile on his face, has just challenged them with, if you do not worship it, you'll be thrown immediately into a blazing fire, and what God will be able to rescue you from my hands? So it looks like the king has already forgotten about the God of Daniel and his friends that he was introduced to in chapter 2. So here is the moment of choice for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Look at verse sixteen, seventeen. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Look at verse 18. But even if he does not, say even if he don't, Let it be known to you, O king. And I like how respectful they are. Let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. In other words... They didn't need to defend themselves in this matter. They were basically saying, King, we don't need to defend ourselves in this matter. They know that God is able to forgive them, and they even go so far as to say, and he will deliver us out of your hand. Did you notice that? Did you notice that? If it be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us from your hand, O King. We just want you to know this. But we want you to know that we're not here to serve your gods. Neither are we going to bow down and worship this image of gold. Because even if he doesn't, and we're thrown into that fire, we're not doing what you've asked us to do, respectfully. So how do you think the king will respond to that? What's going to happen to these three little worms that don't want to go along with this man's mandate? Well, not very well, really. He doesn't respond too good. Look at verse 19 through 23. You're getting something out of this. Then Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar is filled with wrath. I mean, he went from a rage to wrath. Wrath is where you can murder someone. And his facial expression was altered toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I could just imagine the way he's looking at them. Has anybody's face ever been altered toward you? And he answered by giving orders to heat the furnace even seven times more than it was usually heated. And then he commanded certain valiant warriors, his valiant guys, his, his top of the top, you know, cream of the crop guys. Who were in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in order to cast them into the furnace of blazing fire. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps, and their other clothes and were cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. For this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of fire slew all those valiant men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Killed them. Boom. The furnace probably wasn't even meant to be that hot. But these three men, everybody say but. These three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire Still tied up. Now, literally, the furnace, a lot of times we see these pictures, and it's just like they walk into this furnace. No, it says they fell down into it. It's probably like a pit. And they fell down into it. I love this. After it's been heated up seven seven times hotter than it's supposed to be, and the Bible says that they are still... I don't know if you can comprehend this. They're still tied up. It just made crispy critters out of human beings, but they're still tied up. As if God has given the rope supernatural strength to stay tied. Because he's got something he's going to fix to do so that you can see it happen. You know what I've found to be true in life? When you take a stand for God, it's fixing to get seven times hotter. Just like Tom at the cell phone agency. It's going to get hotter. Look at your neighbor and say, stand up for God, and it's going to get hotter. See, what do you do when things get hot? That's the question I've got for us today. What do you do? When things get hot for you. When somebody says, hey, do this, do you do it so you don't lose face? You say, no, I can't do that. You know, I really like you, but if that's what you want me to do, that's what my daughter would do. I'm out. I won't tell you her age, but she's still cool for her age, I think. Now, 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 walk with me on this. I want you to think about the prayer team. If we'd call up the prayer team and say, Hey, listen, man. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, man, they tied them up. They threw them in the front, and they increased the heat seven times. Think about this prayer group leaping into action. as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are led away. They might be saying... You know, if I were a fly on the wall, it might have gone something like this. Prayer group. Oh, Lord, we asked you to change Nebuchadnezzar's heart in Jesus' name. God, no. Prayer group. Oh, Lord, don't, don't let your faithful servants be thrown into the fire. Please, think of their families. God says, I want them thrown in the fire. What? Oh, Lord, they're getting close. Um, I command the flames to be gone in the name of Jesus. God, my child, it is my will, it is my desire that they go through the flames. I have something for them you don't know anything about. But the only way they can get it this is going to fire. Lord's been preaching to me all week. All week. If you think about it, probably 95% of our prayer life is spent telling God what he should do. God didn't take the fire away. He can. And sometimes he does. But in my experience, he usually has a purpose in letting you go through the fire. So let's look at the purpose. You ready? Are you with me today? Look at 24 and 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king Was astounded and he stood up in haste. And he responded and he said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said to the king, Certainly, O king. He answered and said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth, like a son of the gods. One translation says, like unto the Son of God. Do you remember what Nebuchadnezzar said? If you don't bow, you're going to burn. But we find here that if you don't bow, you don't burn. What a result. Can I preach out of my favorite prophet, Isaiah? Can I tell you what he said in chapter 43, verse 2? When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. I want to ask you something. Does it say if you pass? No, it says when you pass. Whether it's the flood or whether it's the fire, he keeps you in the flood and he keeps you in the fire. He did it for Noah. He did it for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he'll do it for you and me today, church, if we'll just step up and stand up and be what God's called us to be in this day and hour. He's the fourth man. Now I've got a whole message on the fourth man. In the book of Genesis, the fourth man is the creator. In the book of Exodus, he is the Passover. I mean, you could just keep on going and keep on going, and I will do that. In fact, I may do that next week, tell you about this fourth man. Because church, he he can use a fiery trial to free you from the things that would seek to bind you. And I want you to notice why it was that they were able to come through this fiery trial quite literally. Intact. Because there was a fourth man like unto the Son of God he was with them everybody say god was with him that is jesus the very son of god who is with his people through their trials i heard about a girl my wife told me about who was asked how she knew that jesus lived in her heart and she said because when i put my hand on my heart i can feel him walking around in there i just feel him walking Isaiah 43.2 doesn't say if you go through the fire. It says when you go through the fire. Why did they have to go through the fire? Because it was in the fire that Jesus shows up. It was in the fire that they were able to experience God. It was in the fire that they were able to experience His protection and His fellowship and His peace when circumstances all around them would state otherwise. Think about your own life. I suspect that the times you've experienced God the most is in the midst of fiery ordeals. Now notice what the king says in verse 26. There's a switch. He's still spewing the same things. He just kind of switches what he does with them. Notice this. Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. He responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. You servants of the Most High God and come here. Come out and come here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. Now, can you imagine if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego would have uh, answered back and said, No, 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 no. Hey, king, come on in here with us. You, you come and join us. Hallelujah. Come on. (laughs) That's not what they said, though, is it? Here's what happened instead. Verse 27 says, and the satraps and the prefects and the governor. This is basically your cops, your judges, your senators, your legislators, your governors, all the people that are over all the other stuff of the government. He calls them in and They gather around and they saw in regard to these men. He's like, hey guys, come and look at this. That the fire had no effect, say no effect, on their bodies, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, their Levi's are still on them, nor had the smell of fire even come on them. Nobody could even accuse them they stunk for going through the fire. Their enemies got to see firsthand the power of God. They saw the fire hadn't harmed them in any way. They didn't bow and they didn't burn, but not only that, they didn't even smell like it. They didn't even smell like they'd been through a fire. They didn't even act like they'd been through a fire. They didn't even have any residue of the fiery trial that, that they had just endured on them. Now, I don't know about you, but that is amazing. And I love the ending because the devil and the envious, jealous enemies get to be put in their places by the very tyrant who made the mandate. Here it is. Verses 28 through 30. This is where Nebuchadnezzar twists what he his favorite saying is. And now he puts it on God's enemies. Look at this. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any God except their own God. Therefore, I make a decree. That any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, here it comes, shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses reduced to a rubbish heap, inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Hallelujah. And the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is obviously and rightfully blown away, probably couldn't believe his eyes. But one thing he knew for sure, it was the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that did this. And he's unlike any other God he had ever come across before. So here we see Nebuchadnezzar blessing God and reversing his own curse. And he goes back to his own favorite saying and says, hey, if you don't want to, if you say anything bad about Shadrach, Meshach, and to God, I'm going to tear you limb from limb and I'm going to make your house a pile of trash, old buddy. But I love the last verse. Because this is the last thing that happens. And it'll happen in your life too if you'll just do this. He promotes the very ones that violated his mandate. Hear me now, and I close. When you will not compromise your faith and your principles, God will see to it that you get promoted. Some way and somehow you will be promoted. And even if it doesn't come right away, there's just someone on the inside of you. It just feels good for doing what's right. Amen. Hear me this morning. Whatever you compromise to keep, you will lose. Whatever you compromise to keep. I didn't say whatever you keep. Whatever you compromise to keep. If you want to keep a good reputation quote in front of people and be accepted by the crowd, you got to compromise your faith, you got to compromise your, your belief to be accepted by the group, you're going to lose the very thing that you've compromised to keep you'll eventually lose it i have known and i have seen people who compromise their righteous standing with god to go with a woman or a woman who compromised her beliefs and her holy way of life to go with some man and lose him anyway And then wish she'd never even met him. And now she's off here in a corner hating herself. And the devil loves that. Thrives on that. Because you know where the devil's at. Do you know where the devil is? Do you know where the devil's people are? Do you know all those people that really want to act like they're your friends at that point in time? They're nowhere to be seen. When you walk around and you need somebody and they're not there, it's because you just lost what you compromised.